folks. It's we we might as well say it now. Can say it throughout the week. Can say it next weekend. <clears throat> My name's Pat, and I'm a pastor here. Uh, this is uh, the third part of a series that we're doing, as Ben said, called Christmas Songs. We did another series last year, similarly, where we take a look at some Christmas carols uh, that we sing this time of year and have a deeper dive into them. What's the inspiration behind them? What are the stories of these songs in particular? How does it connect with what the scriptures reveal about Jesus? And uh, I don't know what your musical tastes are. Taylor sort of opened a can of worms last week. I heard not quite a collective gasp, but close to that um, when he revealed that Christmas carols are not his favorite However, I know that there were others in the room that sort of held their arms arms down in their pocket and wanted to say amen, brother, because when it comes to musical tastes, we have a wide variety of musical tastes. And you know what? Whether you love Christmas carols, great. Glad you're here. If they're not on your list, actually for you, if Christmas music season would be best two days, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, put it away for the next 363, that's fine. Um, What we're looking at this morning and why I think it's helpful, no matter whether you would prefer them to be on seven months out of the year or seven hours out of the year, is what do they have to speak to us about Jesus? And this morning what we're going to do in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is to really look at how we see Jesus in this hymn. And the point of this series isn't to stir up sentimentality over these songs because a lot of times the reason we like these songs are because we have all these fond emotional memories of them. Because we spend time with people we care about. We're we're doing things that we enjoy, and so this music is connected to all of those memories. What we're hoping for is actually to go beyond that in this series, to actually dig a little deeper than just sentimentality, although that's not a bad thing, but to look at what is God revealing about himself in the words of these hymn writers. So my tastes are fairly eclectic, Uh, and fairly broad, and a quirky thing about me is I actually am attracted to quirky music. Like, so I like the weird outside-of-the-box things. I texted Jason here uh, a uh, version of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You can look it up by Dawson's Hollow that I think is really fun. Some of you probably wouldn't think it's very fun. (laughs) I think it's very fun. But I've been drawn to this Christmas carol for, I think, a long time, as a boy even, for some reason, something about it. I think it's because it's different in some ways than other carols. It's similar in other ways, but it has this, probably seems almost like not appropriate to say it, but a little bit of a haunting quality oftentimes when it's sung, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. There's reasons for that that I'm going to help you understand this morning. Um, In a season of joy, which Christmas typically is, this is sort of a sad, I think, Christmas song, which is all right. Um, Here's my contention this morning, that this song of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which we're going to look at and then we'll sing at the end of the service, is a song of sorrowful joy that is appropriate for the experience of many. Um, If you don't have sorrow mixed with joy during the holiday season because you haven't lost somebody that's important that you used to spend this season with, and so there's a mixture of feelings, more than likely you will before you leave the planet. And when you do leave the planet, someone will feel sorrowful and maybe a mixture of joy because God has called you home. 
I actually think it's really appropriate that we have songs like that, and I actually think there's a connection to the meaning of the Christmas season with that mixture of sorrowful joy. I hope that this morning that you connect with that a little more deeply. Last week, we looked at A Little Town of Bethlehem, which was an original song written by a very popular preacher of the day and was written during the Civil War. It was inspired by his visit to Bethlehem when he was on a sabbatical during a season of discouragement in his life. Go ahead and listen to that message or watch it if you want to online. This week is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And this is probably, one thing that you might not know, this is probably the oldest Christmas song that we sing. It has roots that go back at least to the 12th century, likely farther. It was a song that the lyrics go back that far. The reason why it sounds a little bit like a chant is because it was originally one. Uh, that's called plain song. It's when you sing a song that doesn't necessarily have rhyme at the end of the verses like they do now, and it doesn't necessarily have meter, which is lyrical rhythm. It's, it's a song that you would sing sort of like a chant. Latin, when this song was first sung by the church, was the language of the church. In fact, you couldn't find a Bible pretty much that wasn't in Latin. You had to understand Latin to understand the Bible, so very few people actually did other than the professionals. Of course, you could find Greek and Hebrew Bibles. Those were the original texts. But in the 1800s, an Englishman named John Neal translated this Latin text that he found that has its roots back to the 12th century. And to make it easier for us to sing in English, he added what is familiar to us, which is meter, lyrical, rhythm, and he added poetic rhyme to it. Now, because it's so old, by the way, the, song, the words that we sing this morning, or even that I mentioned in this sermon... This is probably one of the hymns. The older the hymn is, the more versions there are of them, especially if it was translated from Latin, because the virtue of a translation means there's different ways to express it. When trying to rhyme, there might be different words you would use that fit better than others, even if it's not the exact best word. So that's what you'll find in this hymn as well. The tune had already been set to it for quite a number of years when John Neal translated it. The tune has its origins to French nuns, living in Portugal. And I'll tell you the story of the tune where he found it in a little bit. But it was originally seven verses, which is what I'm going to cover. We won't sing all seven later. But it's seven verses that was sung during the Advent season. Advent for us today, usually it's, the word Advent comes from a Latin word that means coming, as in what we celebrate is Christ coming in the flesh into the world. But Advent season wasn't always so singularly and hyper-focused on his coming into the world in the flesh. There was also two other ways of coming that Jesus came to us. He come, came to us in the flesh. That's what we celebrate at Christmas season. He also comes to us personally to redeem us, to redeem our souls, to enter our lives. And he's also going to come again at the second coming. This song actually talked about all three aspects of his coming during the Advent season, which was celebrated in the church. So we're going to go through each verse. I'm going to point out that each of the verses in the original, the, the translation from Latin, and you'll see, you'll see this in each verse, is actually uh, connected to an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus, a picture of what Jesus is. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, how Jesus is in each of these verses. So... Let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 is the most familiar. We know this. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. 
Uh, Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. You may know that. You may see it on a sign here, there. Emmanuel just is a, means God with us, and he ransoms us from captivity. Now, this is rooted in the Old Testament experience of Israel, the, 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 the people of God, who were actually physically brought into captivity a number of times. Uh, and by Babylon in, in particular, and when they were in captivity, they actually experienced this wondering, lo- the loneliness they experienced was they, f- they felt like God forgot them, God left them. And they, there was an experience of mourning in the sense that we, this is not where we belong. This is not, this God, it feels like God's far from us, and maybe you feel that way. Uh, maybe you have a reason to mourn or grieve. Maybe you feel far from God. The word Emmanuel, what that means is God is actually with us, that God has come to be with us. Jesus actually came into our loneliness. He actually comes into our grief and our mourning to bring us out of the captivity that lies, sin, and the enemy of our souls might hold us in. That's the purpose that he came to do that. This is rooted in Isaiah 7:14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus was on the planet, he said this in Matthew 20, 28. He said, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, to buy us out of our slavery and captivity. Of what? The wages of sin is what Romans 6.23 says is death. But the gift of God, what Jesus bought for us, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So why is this song sad? You can see in the lyrics here, lonely, exile, mourning. Actually, you're going to see as we look at this, there's a lot of this language, darkness, mourning, sadness. The reason why the, I think that while the text was, uh, existed in Latin first, as I said, in plain song, why it was attached to the, the melody that we sing Here's the reason. The, the roots of that melody comes from those French nuns who were living in Portugal. And the melody was actually discovered to be used in the church as a funeral procession. Fits the theme, and that's why it feels sad to us. That the, that the melody was actually first written for that. John Piper, a pastor and author and speaker, says this. He says, it's a wonderful thing that there are Christmas carols written for the real world of sorrowful joy. And that's where I got this idea. This Christmas carol, this song of sorrowful joy is appropriate for the experience of many of us and to the meaning of this season. Verse 2 says, O come, O come, we don't sing this one very often. O come, O come, thou Lord of law. That word would have been Adonai. In cloud and majesty and awe, thy precepts, the law word isn't there, actually, in the original, but that rhymes with awe, right? So we can add it to it when we're in English, trying to make it sound poetic. But it goes with the theme because thy precepts taught on Sinai's height, that's speaking about Mount Sinai, call us to live, call us to lives both just and right. So secondly, Jesus is the Lord of law who calls us to live rightly. That's talking about in Exodus when God's people of Israel were at the Mount Sinai and he actually came down and gave the people of Israel, the law, which was the way to live. Jesus said this in Matthew 5.17, don't think that I came to abolish a law. I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. 
Jesus didn't come to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill it completely for us. And in Galatians 5.14, we read that the whole law is fulfilled. It can be fulfilled through one command. It's love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is the Lord who tells us and shows us and lived an example of a life that was lived rightly according to the law. Verse 3 says this, O come, thou rod of Jesse, free. Now, in order to make things rhyme, you have to break the sentences up funny. So this is one of those. It's not really very... I, I was an English major. Not a grammarian, by the way. I won't, you won't have grammar police coming from me. But this is so it fits, so it, it works poetically. Come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory or the grave. Thirdly, Jesus is the rod of Jesse. What that means is he's the lineage of David. Jesse was David's father. And so when Jesse's spoken of, usually it's pointing to David, his most important son, who was the greatest king of Israel and was prophesied that the Savior would come from the line of David, which would also be the line of Jesse. Why do we say the rod of Jesse? So it says the rod of Jesse who frees us from death. Because the Savior would come. Jesus, when he came as a Savior, he freed us from the penalty of death. That's what Romans 6.23 is all about. So here's, the, here's where the inspiration from this verse comes. It's Isaiah 11.1, which says, Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And that's in a prophecy about the Savior, about the Messiah. The reason why we say rod of Jesse is because the Bible translation that this author used was the King James Version. And shoot and rod are pretty much the same thing. You might see stem. You might see several others if you were trying to make it rhyme. So here's the King James Version. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch will grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. Now that should sound familiar because that sounds like other language we see in the Bible prophesying about the Savior. Here's what Jesus says in the uh, John's Revelation, Revelation 22:16. he identifies himself with this prophecy. He says, I, Jesus, taught, says a few other things, and he says, I am the root and the descendant of David, similar to what we just read. And then he says, and the bright morning star. And I, I share that verse right here because that's actually the next verse in the, in the hymn, the stanza, the bright morning star has to do with the day spring. What in the world is a day spring? O come, thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. So you can see this sad darkness, death theme that goes throughout. There's a reason why this song feels sad. Jesus is the day spring or the morning star. When the day springs forth, I watched it this morning, the sun rises and the day springs that's what day spring is. It's just a play on words. Way of saying morning star. What's the morning star? It's the sun that rises every morning who shines the light in the night. Numbers 24:17 says, A star will come from Jacob, and a scepter will arise from Israel. This was, this was a prophecy that goes way back in the Old Testament about the Messiah. There's others. Malachi 4:2 talks about the sun of righteousness that'll rise with healing in its rings. That's another directed toward Jesus' prophecy. But really where this inspiration is, is in part of the Christmas story that we read in the Gospel of Luke. You might know that Jesus had a cousin. His name was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's birth was miraculous. Not quite as miraculous as a virgin birth. But an older woman who was way beyond childbearing years, named Elizabeth, 
conceived a child with her husband, Zechariah. And Zechariah spoke a prophecy um, about his son, John the Baptist's role, how it'd be, he would have a preparatory role for the Savior. And here's what he says in Luke 1, 78 and 79. This is the inspiration of this verse in particular. Because of God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. That's almost directly from this verse 4, which says, Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. Here's the King James Version. You won't be surprised. The dawn from on high is dayspring. In the, in the old King James Version, which is the Bible that this Englishman who translated used it. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. That's Jesus. Jesus is the morning star who shines the light into the night. And you can follow that theme throughout the New Testament to show how Jesus was the light in the darkness. And actually, even thinking about this verse this morning, as I sat at, a, at my kitchen table and it was still dark out, and I watched the day spring forth, next time you watch the sunrise, just think of this, that Jesus came to shine the light in the darkness. Just like the sun rises every day, it changes the night into the day. Jesus came to turn spiritually the night, the darkness, into the day. Here's verse 5. O come, thou key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. Again, this is a verse that we may not understand. What is the key of David? Let me help you. Make safe the way that leads to thee, and close the path to misery. Jesus is the key of David, who opens the door to heaven. This is actually, this prophecy is actually connected to a portion of Scripture you might have heard, I've heard many times, didn't quite understand in the New Testament. Isaiah 22, 22 is where it's found. I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulders. Now this might sound familiar. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. The reason why that might be familiar is Jesus quoted this verse when he told, talked to the disciples. He said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And then he quoted this. Whatever you close, no one can open. And whatever you open, no one can close. What he was talking about was that he had the power to open up the kingdom of heaven to anyone who he wants to. And how, who he wants to open it up to is those who put their trust in him. Revelation, you won't be surprised, I've quoted from there a couple times, which is really the picture of the consummation of everything that will happen at the end of the age. Jesus is quoted this way. This is what the Holy One, speaking of Jesus, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. That's three times. Isaiah, speaking about Jesus. Matthew, Jesus himself speaking, and then Revelation at the second coming when Jesus would come again. He came to open the door to heaven so we'd have a way to live with him for eternity. And it had to come through the house of David. The Messiah had to be the source, had to come through the house of David, the, the lineage of David. Here's verse 6. O come thou wisdom from on high and order all things far and nigh. We don't sing this one all that often either. To us the path of knowledge show... And cause us in thy ways to go. Here's, the la here's six. Jesus is wisdom from on high who shows us the way to go. Wisdom is practical. This is how it's supposed to work in life. 
It's not just book knowledge, it's application-oriented knowledge. Why, that's why people who are older, that's why when I was in my 20s, I looked at people like me who said they had a little bit of wisdom. I'm 45. Now I look at people who are 20 years older than me and say they have a little bit of wisdom because they have more life experience than me. They've seen how life works. Jesus is actually pictured as the source of eternal wisdom in the New Testament. Now Proverbs 8 is a pict- another place where wisdom is actually personified. It's t- like the lady wisdom. And Jesus isn't a female, and this isn't directly talking about Jesus, but Jesus acts in the same way. Talks about how wisdom in Proverbs 8 was there when the heavens were established. Jesus was there. He actually did the establishing. When everything was built, the universe was built, wisdom was there. Jesus is actually a better picture than even that proverb, lady wisdom, who's personified. It says this in 1 Corinthians 1.24, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. He's the wisdom of God for us. And here's how it applies to us. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ became wisdom from God for us. How? For our righteousness, to make us right with God. For our sanctification, that's just meaning how to live rightly. In the, and then for our redemption, that means for eternally that we can be redeemed so we can live with him forever. He's our wisdom in every way necessary. Here's verse 7. We'll sing this one. I requested that we would end with it. O come, desire of nations bind, all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease, and fill the world with heaven's peace. You know what the angel said, right? We didn't have it quoted by kids. Usually we do. Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth... Peace, goodwill toward men. That was the announcement of his birth. That was really why he came. Peace. You can follow if you want to have a phenomenal life-changing study. Look up peace and do a word study in the Old Testament. In Hebrew, it's the word shalom. It doesn't mean just no more fighting. It's a bigger, richer. Actually, what your experience will be in heaven will be described as shalom. More like where all things are right. The way it's supposed to be. Jesus came to bring peace to the world. Guys, don't we need peace in this world? I mean, whether it's like actual physical fighting, which is happening right now in multiple places across the world, that's one kind of peace that we need. Or the kind of peace that you wish was there when you go and try to interact on social media and there's not peace there, right? A lot of times there's not. Or when you watch the news and you see what, how people talk to each other, that's not peace. Or just maybe how, when you come to my house, if you had a, could be a fly in the wall and saw how I talk to my kids, I wish there was more peace than there is, because it's not the way I would want it to be all the time. Desire of nations who brings unity. Jesus is the desire of nations who brings unity and peace to the world. In Zechariah 9, we get a prophecy that has been spoken of before. We've mentioned it. It's the prophecy that the Messiah, you'll know, it's sort of like this. If uh, you saw a presidential limousine driving down the street in Washington, D.C., with a whole concave of police, all that, you'd know who's in the car. Or you'd have an idea. Maybe it's the president or vice president or someone like that. Because you and I, we don't get that. You know, when I, when I want to go, you know, grab a coffee. I don't get a, a line of policemen in front of me and a limousine that has, you know, I don't get that. 
Well, Zechariah 9 said, here's how you're going to know when the president of the world is going to come. He's actually going to come into Jerusalem on a donkey. That's not what I would ride on. I'd probably pick something a little cooler. But that's what the prophecy was, and Jesus did that. He fulfilled that in Luke 19. So in that prophecy, that's verse 9, your king is coming on a donkey. Here's the next verse, verse 10. The bow of war will be removed. Now that's symbolic. They didn't have guns back then. A bow was like the longest distance weapon you could get, you could use at the time. A bow of war will be removed, gone. And he will proclaim peace to the nations, and his dominion will extend from sea to sea to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. And Jesus came into the world, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Revelation 21 Here's what it's going to be like at the end of time. This is Jesus. After he comes and he sets up his kingdom and he makes all things right, it says this, God's dwelling is with humanity. God with us. Emmanuel. He will live with them. This is what our experience is going to be. If, you, if you've ever yearned for this, like, Jesus, couldn't you just be really here right now? It, what's going to happen? You're going to have that happen one day. If you trust in Christ, you'll experience that. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief and crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Jesus is going to come, and all that stuff that you wish would be wiped away right now is going to be wiped away one day. It's what we all want. It's what, earlier in Revelation, it says, Maranatha, that's like, come now, please come, Jesus, and make that happen now. We need it now more than ever before. That's what we're really saying in this last verse. Desire of nations, bind all people together in one heart and mind. Jesus said, um, or it was said of Jesus in Philippians that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to trust him, but they're going to recognize that he's Lord. And either they'll recognize that he's their Lord, or he is the Lord that they have been an enemy of with the way that they've lived and thought about him. One day he's going to wipe away all the tears. He's going to make everything right. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to sing this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. They have to do a little bit more arranging of the piano and everything. But let me walk back through, through this, this, this song and tell you who Jesus is according to these words. Jesus is the desire of nations who brings unity and peace to the world. He's the wisdom from on high who shows us the way to go. He's the key of David, who fulfilled that prophecy, who opens the door to heaven. He's the day spring or the morning star who shines light into the darkness, into our darkness, in the darkness that's all around us in the world. He's the rod of Jesse, or in other words, he comes from the lineage of David. He's qualified according to the prophecies of the Bible as the Savior, having come from the lineage of King David, and he frees us from death, the penalty of death, the experience of spiritual death. He's the Lord. He's Adonai, the Lord of law, who calls us and shows us and showed us how to live rightly. And he's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And the reason that he came is to ransom us out of captivity. And we're going to sing this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, as we close. 
Why don't you stand for closing prayer, and then we'll sing this song. Jesus, thank you for coming into the world the first time. We celebrate that here at Advent. Jesus, thank you that you came into the world as a baby in the flesh, God in the flesh, so that we wouldn't just think of you as a baby when we see a nativity scene or sing some songs, but that we would actually consider that you want to come to be with each person personally. You want to be the savior of each person. You came in the flesh so that you could come into the lives of people who need you. I need you. Thanks for coming into my life. If there's anyone here who hasn't invited you to come into their life, pray that they would do that today. Because you're going to come again. And you're going to set everything right. You came in the flesh once. You've come into my life, into many of our lives. You offer to come into everyone's. And you're going to come again back to this world and make everything right. Thanks for promising to do all of those things. Thanks for it being written in this word hundreds of years beforehand that you would and that we can look and see evidence in these prophecies, Isaiah and elsewhere, that you fulfill them all. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.